Chapter One of the Surprising Adventures of Bamfield Moore Carew, King of the Beggars. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Surprising Adventures of Bamfield Moore Carew, King of the Beggars, by Bamfield Moore Carew. Chapter One. Mr. Bamfield Moore Carew was descended from the ancient family of the Carews son of the reverend mr theodore carew of the parish of brickley near tipperton in the county of devon of which parish he was many years a rector very much esteemed while living and at his death universally lamented mr carew was born in the month of july sixteen ninety three and never was there known a more splendid attendance of ladies and gentlemen of the first rank and quality at any baptism in the west of england than at his the honourable hugh bamfield esq who afterwards died of an unfortunate fall from his horse and the honourable major moore were both his illustrious godfathers both of whose names he bears who sometime contending who should be the precedent doubtless presaging the honour that should redound to them from the future actions of our hero the affair was determined by throwing up a piece of money which was won by mr bamfield who upon this account presented a large piece of plate whereon was engraved in large letters bamfield moore carew the reverend mr carew had several other children both sons and daughters besides mr carew all of whom he educated in a tender and pious manner and mr carew was at the age of twelve sent to tiverton school where he contracted an intimate acquaintance with some young gentlemen of the first rank in somersetshire devonshire cornwall and dorsetshire the desire of the reader to be informed of the person of the hero of whom they are reading is so natural we should be guilty of a great neglect were we to omit satisfying our readers in this respect more particularly as we can without making use of a figure in rhetoric which is of a very great service to many authors called amplification or in plain english enlarging present our readers with a very amiable picture the stature of our hero was tall and majestic his limbs strong and well proportioned his features regular his countenance open and ingenuous bearing all those characteristical marks which physiognomists assert denote an honest and good-natured mind during the first four years of his continuance at tiverton school his close application to and delight in his studies gave his friends great hopes that he might one day make a good figure in that honourable profession which his father became so well for many years and for which he was designed he attained for his age a very considerable knowledge in the latin and greek tongues but soon a new exercise or accomplishment engaged all his attention this was that of hunting in which our hero soon made a surprising progress for besides that agility of limb and courage requisite for leaping over five barred gates etc our hero by indefatigable study and application added to it a remarkable cheering halloo to the dogs of very great service to the exercise and which we believe was peculiar to himself and besides this found out a secret hitherto known but to himself of enticing any dog whatever to follow him the Tiverton scholars had at this time the command of a fine cry of hounds, whereby Mr. Carew had frequent opportunity of gratifying his inclinations in that diversion. It was then that he entered into a very strict friendship and familiarity with John Martin, Thomas Coleman, John Escott, and other young gentlemen of the best rank and fortune, 
the wise spaniards have a proverb tell me who you are with and i will tell you what you are and we ourselves say birds of a feather flock together it is generally allowed that proverbs are built upon experience and contain great truths and though at this time very young he contracted no acquaintance and kept no company but with young gentlemen of birth and fortune who were rather superior to himself than beneath him it happened that a farmer living in a county adjacent to tiverton who was a great sportsman and used to hunt with the tiverton scholars came and acquainted them of a fine deer which he had seen with a collar about his neck in the fields about his farm which he supposed to be the favourite deer of some gentleman not far off this was very agreeable news to the tiverton scholars who with mr carew john martin thomas coleman and john escott at their head went in a great body to hunt it this happened a short time before the harvest the chase was very hot and lasted several hours and they ran the deer many miles which did a great deal of damage to the fields of corn that were then almost ripe upon the death of the deer and examination of the collar it was found to belong to colonel nutcombe of the parish of clayhanger those farmers and gentlemen that sustained the greatest damage came to tiverton and complained heavily to mr rayner the schoolmaster of the havoc made in their fields which occasioned strict enquiry to be made concerning the ringleaders who proving to be our hero and his companions they were so severely threatened that for fear they absented themselves from school and the next day happening to go in the evening to brickhouse an alehouse about half a mile from tiverton they accidentally fell into company with a society of gipsies who were there feasting and carousing this society consisted of seventeen or eighteen persons of both sexes who that day met there with a full purpose of merriment and jollity and after a plentiful meal upon fowls and other dainty dishes the flowing cups of october and cider went most cheerfully round and merry songs and country dances crowned the jovial banquet in short so great an air of freedom mirth and pleasure appeared in this society that our youngsters from that time conceived a sudden inclination to enlist into their company which when they communicated to the gipsies they considering their appearance behaviour and education regarded as only spoke in jest but as they tarried there all night in their company and continued in the same resolution the next morning they were at length induced to believe them to be serious and accordingly encouraged them and admitted them into their number the requisite ceremonials being first gone through and the proper oaths administered the reader may perhaps be surprised at the mention of oaths administered and ceremonials used at the entrance of these young gentlemen but his surprise will lessen when we inform him that these people are subject to a form of government and laws peculiar to themselves and though they have no written laws by which means they avoid all perplexity with lawyers yet they pay obedience to one who is styled their king to which great honour we shall hereafter see our hero arrive having first proved himself worthy of it by a great number of necessary achievements there are perhaps no people so completely happy as they are or enjoy so great a share of liberty the king is elective by the whole people but none are allowed to stand as candidates for that honour but such as have been long in their society and perfectly studied the nature and institution of it they must likewise have given repeated proofs of their personal wisdom courage and capacity 
this is the better known as they always keep a public record or register of all remarkable either good or bad actions performed by any of the society and they can have no temptation to make choice of any but the most worthy as their king has no titles or lucrative employments to bestow which might influence or corrupt their judgment the only advantage the king enjoys is that he is constantly supplied with whatever is necessary for his maintenance from the contributions of his people whilst he in return directs all his care to the defending and protecting his people from their enemies in contriving and planning whatever is most likely to promote their welfare and happiness in seeing a due regard paid to their laws in registering their memorable actions and making a due report of all these things at their general assemblies so that perhaps at this time it is amongst these people only that the office of a king is the same as it was at its first institution viz a father and protector of his people the laws of these people are few and simple but most exactly and punctually observed the fundamental of which is that strong love and mutual regard for each member in particular and for the whole community in general which is inculcated into them from their earliest infancy so that this whole community is connected by stronger bands of love and harmony than oftentimes subsist even in private families under other governments this naturally prevents all oppressions fraud and overreaching of one another so common amongst other people and totally extinguishes that bitter passion of the mind the source perhaps of most of the other vices envy for it is a great and certain truth that love worketh no evil their general meetings at stated times which all are obliged to be present at is a very strong cement of their love and indeed of all their other virtues for as the general register of their actions which we have before spoken of is read at these meetings those who have deserved well of the community are honored by some token or distinction in the sight of all the rest and those who have done anything against their fundamental laws have some mark of ignominy put upon them for they have no high sense of pecuniary rewards and they think the punishing of the body of little service towards amending the mind experience has shown them that by keeping up this nice sense of honor and shame they are always enabled to keep their community in better order than the most severe corporeal punishments have been able to effect in other governments but what has still more tended to preserve their happiness is that they know no other use of riches than the enjoyment of them but as the word is liable to be misconstrued by many of our readers we think it necessary to inform them we do not mean by it that sordid enjoyment which the miser feels when he bolts up his money in a well-secured iron chest or that delicious pleasure he is sensible of when he counts over his hoarded stores and finds they are increased with a half-guinea or even a half-crown nor do we mean that enjoyment which the well-known mr k the man-eater feels when he draws out his money from his bags to discount the good bills of some honest but distressed tradesman at fifteen or twenty per cent the people we are speaking of are happily ignorant of such enjoyment of money for they know no other use of it than that of promoting mirth and good-humour for which end they generously bring their gains into a common stock whereby they whose gains are small have an equal enjoyment with those whose profits are larger excepting only that a mark of ignominy is affixed on those who do not contribute to the common stock proportionably to their abilities 
and the opportunities they have of gain and this is the source of their uninterrupted happiness for by this means they have no griping user to grind them lordly possessor to trample on them nor any envyings to torment them they have no settled habitations but like the scythians of old remove from place to place as often as their conveniency or pleasure requires it which renders their life a perpetual scene of the greatest variety by what we have said above and much more that we could add of the happiness of these people and of their peculiar attachment to each other we may account for what has been matter of much surprise to the friends of our hero viz his strong attachment for the space of above forty years to this community and his refusing the large offers that have been made to quit their society but to return to our history thus was mr carew initiated into the mysteries of a society which for antiquity need give place to none as is evident from the name as well as their origin which they derive from the egyptians one of the most ancient and learned people in the world and that they were persons of more than common learning who travelled to communicate their knowledge to mankind whether the divine homer himself might not have been of this society will admit of a doubt as there is much uncertainty about his birth and education though nothing is more certain than that he travelled from place to place mr carew did not continue long in it before he was consulted in important matters particularly madame musgrove of monkton near taunton hearing of his fame sent for him to consult in an affair of difficulty when he came she informed him that she suspected a large quantity of money was buried somewhere about her house and if he would acquaint her with the particular place she would handsomely reward him our hero consulted the secrets of his art upon this occasion and after long toil and study informed the lady that under a laurel tree in the garden lay the treasure she anxiously sought for but that her planet of good fortune did not reign till such a day and hour till which time she should desist from searching for it the good lady rewarded him very generously with twenty guineas for his discovery we cannot tell whether at this time our hero was sufficiently initiated in the art or whether the lady mistook her lucky hour but the strict regard we pay to truth obliges us to confess that the lady dug below the roots of the laurel tree without finding the hidden treasure when he was further initiated in the art he was consulted upon several important matters and generally gave satisfaction by his sagacious answers in the meantime his worthy parents sorrowed for him as one that was no more not being able to get the least tidings of him though they publicly advertised him and sent messengers after him in every direction till at the expiration of a year and a half our hero having repeated accounts of the sorrow and trouble his parents were in upon his account his heart melted with tenderness and he repaired to his father's house at brickley in devonshire as he was much disguised both in habit and countenance he was not at first known by his parents but when he discovered himself joy gushed out in full streams stopping the power of speech but the warm tears they bedewed his cheeks with whilst they imprinted them with kisses performed the office of the tongue with more expressive eloquence but the good heart and tender parent will feel this much better than we can describe the whole neighbourhood partook of this joy and there was nothing for some time but ringing of bells with public feasting and other marks of festive joy 
mr carew's parents did everything possible to render home agreeable to him every day he was engaged in some party of pleasure or other and all his friends strove who should entertain him so that there seemed nothing wanting to his happiness but the uncommon pleasure that he had enjoyed in the community he had left the freedom of their government the simplicity and sincerity of their manners the frequent changes of their habitation the perpetual mirth and good-humour that reigned amongst them and perhaps some secret presages of that high honour which he has since arrived at all these made too deep an impression to be effaced by any other ideas his pleasure therefore grew every day more and more tasteless and he relished none of those entertainments which his friends daily provided for him for some time these unsatisfied longings after the community of gipsies preyed upon his mind his heart being too good to think of leaving his fond parents again without reluctance long did filial piety and his inclinations struggle for the victory at length the last prevailed but not till his health had visibly suffered by these inward commotions one day therefore without taking leave of any of his friends he directed his steps toward brickhouse at tiverton where he had at first entered into the community of the gipsies and finding some of them there he joined their company to the great satisfaction of them as well as of himself they rejoiced greatly at having regained one who was likely to be so useful a member to their community End of chapter one